The week after BlackRock filed its ETF, Jerome Powell, the chairman of the Federal Reserve of the United States, said that Bitcoin has, quote, staying power, end quote. And he also said that he recognizes stablecoins, payment stablecoins, he says, as a form of money. Those soundbites are incredibly powerful. Jerome Powell does not say a word out of his mouth accidentally. This is the Blue Collar Bitcoin Podcast, a show where average Joe firefighters explore the most important monetary technology of the 21st century. We talk Bitcoin, we talk finance, and we talk shit. Hello and welcome to another banger episode of Blue Collar Bitcoin. Today, we have a very special guest joining us. He's a trailblazer in the world of digital finance and co-founder of Ledin a global digital asset savings and credit platform, Mauricio Di Bartolomeo. As a sidebar, yes, I'm very proud of myself for pronouncing that correctly. At least I think I did. Mauricio has spent the last decade immersed in Bitcoin and the seismic shifts it's caused in the financial landscape. He has a deep expertise in the institutional aspects of the space and was helpful in explaining some of these giant behemoths moves. Today, we're diving into the topic of ETFs, specifically BlackRock and the potential approval by the SEC. As you know, ETFs have been a significant point of discussion for a while now, and BlackRock's ETF could potentially reshape the game. We'll also be discussing the importance of independent thought and investing, not just blindly following the herd. And of course, we'll delve into the rollercoaster ride that Mauricio and Ledin have been on for the last year while company after company in the space blew up. This is why we keep a low time preference and build for the future, not for the now. Ledin has survived the apocalypse, and that is not by chance. The BlackRock news is interesting. But we know who our audience is, and we know that most of you will be self-custodying your Bitcoin. The finest product on the market for self-custody is the cold card Mark IV. True cold storage. Air-gapped cold storage. Far away from the clutches of any paper Bitcoin sold by an ETF. CoinKite makes a myriad of tantalizing products, including the NFC Sats card and tap signer for quick signing, the Block Clock and the Block Clock Mini, both gorgeous devices to display the price of Bitcoin and other metrics on your desktop or wall. Use code BCB for 5% off the Mark IV and check our link in the show notes for other CoinKite discounts. Mauricio, Josh, I'm going to tell you guys what, it is It is nice to be in my basement right now because it is a fucking war zone upstairs. My three-year-old strong-willed is an understatement right now, Mauricio. I don't know if these princess dresses have been going to her head and she's on a power trip, but I think my wife and I looked at each other and we just said, we've officially lost control. Um, we're in that phase right now. And so I just punched out. I just said, duty calls, honey. Got to go in the basement and talk about Bitcoin. So we may need to string this one out, Josh. This is kind of the opposite of expedite. I'm like, you guys want to go three or four hours. I'm good. These are convenient to have at times, man. Yeah, my wife just had knee surgery. I'm like, I've got oh, three no. kids now, so she can't wait bare for like six weeks. So I've got that going on, plus two young kids, and just trying to keep them from drowning in in the pool, and you know, letting the house just go run into disrepair because I don't have any time to clean anything up. So it's all good though. I'll join the party. I got uh, my uh, my five year old. This is bear market right here. Yeah, my my five year old won't get out of a costume, which I, I love because I what used costume to be. is it? Uh, she's Spider Man. Right now, she loves nice. Spider-Man. She actually likes superheroes more than princesses, which I love. Um, but I was a big superhero kid. Uh, random story. I, I, I once took my uh, costume into pre-K 
and went into the washroom and walked out as Superman. And my my teacher had to tackle me and all <laughs> my parents. But I'm a big fan of. Uh, I love this age. This is my favorite. Wait, so you actually brought it in like in a backpack and changed secretively and in came my out lunch as box. Superman? In That's my genius. lunchbox, That's brought awesome. it into this. Yeah, it was. It was. I still remember this. I, I must have been like five or four. Um, so yeah, it's it's one of my my fondest memories for some reason. Straight power move. Yeah, th- th- this this age three. My oldest is is three, and it is. She's either the most delightful, adorable thing I've ever seen in my way in my life, or just a straight demon child. And it feels like it's escalating. Dude, there's never uh, a middle ground for that kind of stuff either. None no. whatsoever. They swing wildly. Yeah. Little psychopaths, man. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's been beautiful to watch, though. I bought her the uh, Goodnight Bitcoin book. Um, I, have to, I have to remember who makes it because it's a really nice book, but they're starting to make a lot of like cool children's stuff. She has the, um, uh, what are Lena's, what, what are Lena's, the little hodler. So I have her, I, I have a couple of little hodlers for her. She's got like Goodnight Bitcoin. And basically when I ask, you know, what does your dad do? And she goes, my dad works in Bitcoin. So, <laughs> so, uh, so it's pretty cool. <laughs> this is going to be an awkward parlay after talking about our three-year-olds and five-year-olds. <laughs> <Love it. laughs> really awkward. But I was thinking about BlackRock sniffing around Bitcoin and thinking of, I was trying to come up with some kind of an analogy to sometime in school. And, and what I came up with was something like, I remember, I think it was a freshman in high school. I'm sitting like two desks in front of this girl that I thought was really attractive. And she's wearing a really short skirt that day. So I'm doing and employing every tactic I can think of to drop a pencil or a piece of paper or something. So I'd have to lean over, pick it up and take a peek up her skirt. And it only took, it only took, I think twice for her to pick up very quickly on what was going on. And I remember hearing very vividly, like she reached, she leaned over to her friend sitting next to her. She's like, He's looking directly at my skirt every time he drops something. I'm like, fuck. I just curtains for that possibility in the rest of the career at that high school over with. I feel like that's what BlackRock is doing right now with Bitcoin. It's just peeking up its skirt, trying to get a look. And it looks like the SEC is going to pull that skirt up and reveal. <laughs> I was wondering where you were going I, with the I, analogy. I, I, guess, I, I guess it fits, Mauricio. Um yeah. It's just was an excuse for him to tell like an underage sexcapade, I guess. That's pretty much what it was. Yeah. You nailed it. Well, you know what? Like the, these, the, the institutions um, have typically they're not, um, they're not ones to take risks, mm. right? Like they, they, they take the risks to, to, at the beginning when they had to, but then once they got their regulatory capture, they're, their, their business is to keep that regulatory capture. Their business is not to you know, break out into some new technology or innovate into blah, blah, blah. Like what was, the, what was the most breakthrough product that banking has launched in the last five years? Like name one. Yeah. Like, I mean, online banking Venmo? where they send a paper check for you, that's like the biggest innovation in banking in the last 30 years as uh, far as so, I can tell. So it's, it's not a business where you have to necessarily innovate to stay ahead. Uh, in fact, if you look at the banks that try to innovate, like Silver Hidden Signature, uh, look at where they ended up, you know, and, and we can we'll want to point fingers as right. to uh, why or how uh, they ended up in the way they did. Maybe, maybe some of them wouldn't have had that unfortunate fate if they hadn't serviced a particular industry that there seemed to be an agenda against. 
Um, but it's kind of the school of fish ideology you're describing there, where as long as you stay within the herd, if the whole herd gets slaughtered, you can't, no one can point the finger at you and say, you screwed this up. But if you know, you diverge out of the herd and the lion grabs you, guess what? It's over. It's curtains for you. So yeah, they're just trying to swim within the school of fish. And if the fish move into the Bitcoin territory, it becomes a viable option. Absolutely. So what they're waiting for is, Hey, you know, uh, I will, they they can operate in black or white, right? While something is gray, they can't touch it because the rule says you can only touch white. You can't touch black or vice versa, and you can't touch gray. So they are basically there aching for this thing to turn a particular color mm-hmm. so they can just pounce on this thing, right? And every, um, uh, a lot of people that have been watching this industry have always seen this as an inevitability. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. If Bitcoin does what we believe it will do, it will become the world's greatest financial instrument. And as such, the top financial entities in the world are not going to sit there with their arms crossed and see and watch Lenin and everyone else, you know, balloon into what they are and sort of now nudge them out of their royal position, right? They're going to try their best to defend themselves and be able to offer these services it's it's kind of like when taxi companies started launching their apps you know they they saw this thing Cute. rushing and they're like oh my god oh my god let's launch an app guys and 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 we'll fight back um generally the way disruption works is you know marriott could list their hotel rooms on airbnb but people don't want to stay in a marriott they want to stay in an airbnb and so what ends up happening in the disruptor when when a particular model gets disrupted is that the incumbents will try to adopt the model it's it's i i think of that meme the the how you do fellow kids you know the meme with the backwards cap of the guy that's like 60 year old yeah, and he's yeah. dressed like a in the high school he's like how do you do fellow kids you know they're they're all going to try to be hip and cool and you know i'm sure that nbc and abc uh, or whatever those uh, at one point that oh we should get into streaming uh, but but no, they they got absolutely obliterated by the, the the streaming native companies. So it's a similar situation. But to me, it's par for the course. Mm. To me, as as the regulators are able to paint this industry of a particular color and and stop it from being gray, they're gonna come in. It's not an if; it's a when. Yeah. To. Sp- Speak to the portion of the obvious uh, audience that's not privy to these dynamics. I want to lay some base stones here for this this BlackRock situation. I don't care who you are, whether you think this is a net positive or a net negative. This is a huge freaking deal. I think that it is one of the biggest developments in the conversation as the biggest development since we entered Bitcoin in 2017. That may sound provocative, but it is it needs to be a pay, paid attention to. Let's just let's just get some numbers straight here. BlackRock is the biggest asset manager in the world. They have 10 trillion dollars under management. That is 20 times the size of Bitcoin right now, okay? They are deeply connected within everything from a regulatory government standpoint. What whoever they are the deepest insider you can find in finance. The third thing I want to say is they're incredibly smart. You may be a basement warrior who's too cool for these guys, but as you articulated, Mauricio, 
they're very intentional, they're calculated, and they traditionally make the right moves. Okay. So, so this is something that they've been pondering for a long period of time and decided to, to execute. And they clearly have reason to believe that they're moving at, at the right time, which makes total sense. Is, is someone like BlackRock going to move when the froth is most predominant? No, they're going to move in times like this when a lot of that foam has been sifted away and, and the base is solidified. And what they've done is they basically created an ETF product. I mean, technically it's a trust, but they filed this S1 with the SEC and it includes daily subscription and redemption. So it basically functions like a spot ETF. It's a huge deal. It's got negatives, it's got positives. And I think it's important. The fact that they actually came, the SEC told them to, to go back to the drawing board here and fix this X, Y, and Z portion of this and give it back to us. I mean, it, traditionally in the past, they would have just sent this back and said, uh, this isn't happening. Take it back to the, just get rid of it. Kick it out of here. Zero, not happening. And then on, on the fact that 99.7% approval rate from BlackRock for an ETF filing. So, I mean, it's it's effectively happening, it seems. BlackRock doesn't get rejected, <laughs> okay? Um, they've gotten rejected once in 576 attempts. Um, it's There's two events that I consider to be monumental that have happened over the last few weeks. And I don't think the timing is coincidental. We, we can get into that in a second. But the week after BlackRock filed its ETF, Jerome Powell, the chairman of the Federal Reserve of the United States, said that Bitcoin has, quote, staying power, end quote. And he also said that he recognizes stable coins, payment stable coins, he says, as a form of money. Those sound bites are incredibly powerful. Jerome Powell does not say a word out of his mouth accidentally. What's what's interesting about the way you're describing this, and, and this is back to the game theory we constantly talk about. Like this is that game theory, that game playing out where all of these companies are showing, like, hey, look, we've got other options. This isn't the only game in town. You're not the only nation in town, and we can extend ourselves to any point in the world, especially now with the internet, uh, uh, making that inevitability. Like you can have employees around the world. You can have your nation, you can have your company based anywhere. You can have it based on the internet. So whether or not they like it, they're going to have to seed some ground just because otherwise they simply lose all of this, uh, this potential industry that is obviously worth over a trillion dollars has been worth multiples of that will very likely be worth many multiples of that in the future. And that's all tax re revenue that they're going to miss out on. Yeah. Also, I wanted to just comment on Powell's uh, very strategic choice of words as Bernanke, as Yellen. Just imagine for a minute Biden in that position. <laughs> the chaos that markets could produce if Biden got to sit in that chair and make any kind of <laughs> absurd comments about God save the queen or any other random thing that might just cross his Blank it's, mind. Like a, it's like us pulling a patient out of a nursing home and just making them fed chair. Uh, it, the, the other thing I was going to say <laughs> was just the party's real is how I'm going to put it. The days of calling Bitcoin fake internet money, the thesis that Bitcoin is just going to go away, that is starting to sound idiotic and nonsensical. And, and when I say the party's happening, here's the analogy I'll draw. It's high school. There's rumored to be some crazy fucking party, but it sounds like nothing. 
and things are rolling downhill the last, you know, five, 10 years there, now there's texts going around that there's beer there and there's some hot chicks there. Well, the most popular dude, the quarterback of the football team just showed up to the freaking party. Okay. Yeah. And so to call this, you can call it a fake party, but there's 320 people there. The house is getting ruined. The music is blaring. The, the cops have been called. It's happening. It's a party. Yeah. Okay. Black rocks there. They may be an asshole. Maybe the quarterback's a, a total dick. I don't know, but he's at the party and it needs to be a pay, paid attention to because it's making a lot of noise on the block. And but guess to what? Me, when he looks up somebody's skirt, they don't say no. <laughs> they, don't, they, don't, they don't say <laughs> they don't no. They don't say no, man. But, but here, here's where I want to flip, though. And we need to spend some time on this because we need to be real. I do, I do think that this is very bullish for price and maybe we can enumerate why. But what are some of the downsides you guys see of this? Because I can think of several. Jesse Myers wrote a great piece that came out a couple weeks ago on this, uh, highlighting some of the negatives, which I may bring up. But what are, what are your first thoughts, gentlemen, just on the cons of a Bitcoin ETF through through BlackRock. So for me, the the sort of primary um, counter or negative outcome is that it 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 converts Bitcoin in its for in that ETF format. It converts Bitcoin into purely a financial asset for financial gain. It it removes a lot of its freedom attributes mm. and and by that i mean the uncensorability of it the uh 24/7 transaction uh openness of it your ability to pay with it um your ability to potentially you know i already said this but basically transferring it to anyone else at any time mm -hmm. uh not having to go through an intermediary for making a transaction um you know not having to wake through you know 9 to 5 monday to friday market close at 4 you know bitcoin never sleeps you you that's the whole point tiktok next block Right, uh, a a lot of that is lost when you put Bitcoin in this wrapper. However, it's it's it, you have to understand who this wrapper is being built for. Uh, a great deal of the wealth in North America and a lot of the uh, sort of global North are in retirement protected vehicles and instruments. Yeah, these are instruments that for the large like ninety nine percent of the population. Yes, there is a way that you can self-custody your Bitcoin, you know, it, but it is incredibly complex for the average person. Yes, and it is. scares the pants off a lot of people. A lot of people, like you would be surprised. You know, we talk about it or like lightly because we're industry experts, even though we may not want to refer to each other as such, but we are. Uh, and so it's the equivalent of you telling a car mechanic, "Oh yeah, just change the tires." So, oh, of course, I'll just go change the tires. But right. tell somebody on the street to go change a set of tires. You got to call CAA. Oh my God, like you know, it's a, uh, it's a, uh, it's a problem. So, this wrapper, this BlackRock ETF, is basically going to be the vehicle for the people that a don't value those attributes that I just mentioned, right? But they know that the rest of the world does. So for them, they're like, how do I get on this train? You know, I know this thing is going to get bought up. I know that this is digital gold. I know everybody's printing money left, right, and center. It's math, like Greg Foss says. So we just need one more product that our, that our, that our investors want that isn't dollars to hedge against those dollars. And 
if everybody every day they're getting phones and they're getting calls being like when bit when bitcoin etf when bitcoin product yep. when bitcoin product oh i'm going to 3iq oh i'm going to so and so oh i'm going to the european etps eventually BlackRock was just like guys how are we letting these random people around the world you know take our fees like please gary or you know please uh so and so let's get this sorted right and probably went something like that and not maybe not directly but that that's kind of how i'm seeing it it's like you know oh i'm sure their their thought was oh when we go after this industry the world is going to turn their back on them and we're going to show them who's boss and they went and tried to be mean guy meanwhile everybody around them was like oh my god you're actually doing that no no guys come over don't worry about it and then when they saw that they were like oh crap i guess we kind of want hundreds of millions of dollars of investment and thousands of jobs. Um, maybe that's not such a bad idea if we could just not be lazy enough to write the rules because that's really all that these industry participants are asking for yeah. is tell us how to comply. There's a request for rulemaking that keeps getting delayed. So when are you going to tell us how to comply? Oh, we can't. We're too busy with this. We're too busy with that. Well, other people aren't too busy. Other people made the rules and there's people playing and the game's going great. So guess what? I want to keep playing. <laughs> um, so, you know, either I stay here and stop playing or I just literally get on a plane and continue my game that's doing great. Um, and, and and that there's demand for worldwide. So um, I think you're you're seeing a sort of, and it cannot be ignored. It, it, BlackRock and now with the Fed's comments, this cannot be ignored. And no, neither can you now go back and say Bukele is a lunatic. Right. Uh, for true. doing this. Hey, the, or other comments, uh, or the, the other comments is you have Yellen recently talking about the US dollar being vulnerable yeah. as world reserve currency. That was like yeah. last month, too. I mean, that was one there's this spattering of, of different the, the spattering of different comments that are really starting to it's make creepy. you scratch your head and and look around and. And one other comment I wanted to make that to double back, self-custody is, I firmly believe, doable for everyone, but there, there are no doubt a ton of frictions. And I just say that from practical observation. Like at the end of the day, we've now been at this for, you know, going on six years. We're around a lot of people that are learning and, and experiencing and doing Bitcoin at the firehouse per se. And it's really hard to get people to custody their Bitcoin, even if they're really tight with the two of us. It takes a lot of prodding, often from both of us. We'll like text each other, you know, we'll bring send it in, messages we'll on Signal, we'll be like, hey, them. follow up with so-and-so, get them to move. It's like, functionally, people just are so slow to do this. And a lot of that is such a nation idea. It's such a new out-of-the-box concept, even though it's so fundamental. And there is a lot of tax-advantaged retirement money even yeah. speaking to the middle class that we care about that's wrapped up in there for ourselves and our peers where it would be nice to have access to a better product because man is the GBTC option shitty and this is this the implications of that are big because this in-kind redemption through BlackRock does ensure that any premium or discount to NAV is going to be arbitraged away and it's going to be really unusual and and interesting to watch Barry and the GBTC team figure out what to do next. Are they literally just going to more overtly hold everyone hostage and keep pulling? I bet they do. Pulling Honestly, I think they will. 
I think they'll try. I think they'll I think they'll drag their feet as long as they can. Um, on the topic of the CTF, though, I think this is a stopgap for monetization generally. And it almost looks like it's working in reverse of how gold gold was a reserve currency of the world. It transitioned away from that. And then, I mean, obviously, these ETF products have only been around for, what is it, like 30 or 40 years? They haven't even been around that long. But this has all been like, this is the same reason people use an ETF because they don't want to keep gold bars in their basement. They're afraid of someone robbing them. I mean, it's a different kind of apprehension when it holds when it comes to holding Bitcoin, but it still means that the onus is on you and the responsibility is all yours. And if you do it wrong, you could get it stolen if you're if you really do it wrong. But what I'm getting at, though, this is almost like gold in reverse. It's going from, you know, it's monetizing from zero, which nobody got to see gold do because it happened so long ago um, into the CTF. And there's always the paper manipulation worries, which is another thing I think maybe we should touch on for a second. But yeah. The point I'm making is in order for Bitcoin to monetize in any real way, it has to be available to everybody in just about every possible um, way. It has to be available for your retirement account. It has to be available for you to buy. I mean, for Christ's sake, it's at Coinstar right now. If I bring a bag of pennies into Jewel, one of the grocery stores near us, I can get Bitcoin in return for it. It's, it's, It's tentacles are building into everything. I see Bitcoin ATMs all the time. I feel like they've proliferated more than in the last couple of years than, than anything else. Um, but this is really just the next stopgap for monetization, which is everyone's got to have to want to own it first. And then wh- whether it takes five years, 10 years, or 30 years for this fiat experiment to finally blow up, having some ability to, to own it in whatever way possible, you can get some of that back. And then that's when the final implementation of monetization will inevitably happen. But the, the downside again, back to like, is this is paper Bitcoin effectively? Do they have to show proof of reserves? Do they have to show their balance sheet in order to show that like, yeah, we actually have 100,000 Bitcoin, which is equal to the liabilities that we have from all of our customers? Yeah, there's going to be rehypothecation. I mean, it's it's a it's a BlackRock situation. Sorry, go ahead. What was your thumb, Reese? Yeah, yeah no, I, I think like once you get into the into the uh, tent of regulated products, you have to report. Like that, that's, that's, you know, publicly listed companies have to report every four times a year and their statements have to be audited. And it's a similar thing for a, for a trust. This is why regulators can get comfortable with it. It's because they are putting them under the same regime as they put all the gold ETFs and all the silver ETFs and all the coppers and all the other stuff. And they have a blueprint for how to regulate these people and how to ensure that, you know, they can come in and call whatever they need to call when when needed. Um, given the, the the track record that Black BlackRock has had, I think the regulators must be pretty thrilled to say, "Oh my God, you know, yes, the first guy I'm going to approve, or the one of the first people I'm going to approve, just happens to be the world leader in these products and has never had issues. In fact, they manage a lot of our municipality funds, <laughs> so." Um, you know what? If it's going to be anybody, why not them, right? Um, and the and the second thing I'll say is that Bitcoin is different things for different people. Bitcoin is for your friends and it's for your enemies. You cannot control mm. how what people like about Bitcoin or how people see Bitcoin. There are people that have that want nothing to do with self custody, and that may be the biggest whales. And all of us. Retail holders may benefit from these BlackRock-esque like buyers 
that don't necessarily value that principle of of you know censorship resistance etc for them because they don't feel like it's any use to them but they know it's useful for other people so if they can buy a piece of that and be along for the ride mm. they will and so you know i say this often you know maduro used bitcoin as a way of hype up the petro right and my, I, you know a lot of uh, corrupt uh, Venezuelan government officials, etc., you know, are rumored to have Bitcoin mines and such. And so I know that some people that have done some, you know, bad things to my family potentially are using Bitcoin. And I can't do anything about that. Right. And from from a game theoretic perspective, you should worry about your lane. <clears throat> what lane are you swimming in? My Bitcoin, my lane. You shouldn't care too much uh, necessarily about how everyone else perceives and sees Bitcoin because it's impossible to control other people. It's impossible to tell other people what to do. If you feel comfortable that you understand the rules of the game and that you have a node that's going to keep running those same rules, yes, you can continue to operate. And it doesn't really matter if... I, like, I bet you a lot of our enemies use the US dollar. A lot of them. Assuredly. For bad things. Horrible things. And we might even have the same bill that they paid for it. You know, we might have we might have it in our wallet. We we may we will never know. Um, yet we don't say, you know, oh my god, that guy's not a, uh, I don't know, a dollar user. My god, no, no, no. I hate you know that that's not how you use the dollar. You know, you can't use the dollar for that. Like, you know, you're you're an old man screaming at the sky, right? Yep. So, just. Swim in your lane. If you were worried about your Bitcoin in your self-custody and you have a fear that your custodian may fail or that your country might go rogue, take your steps. Become your own bank. Become your own this. But you know what's really different, difficult? Telling somebody that they have to become their own bank when they never have been. Interesting. Impossible. Impossible. Yeah. It's like me out of a sudden. It's like me telling my daughter tomorrow, hey, sweetie, the cops are gone. So I'm gonna need you to be, you know, to start strapping, or I'm gonna need you to have these self-defense things. Here's a pistol, and protect honey. Protect yourself, or or I went and told my wife, "Sorry, honey, the doctors are on strike." So as of tomorrow, we're all gonna have to start learning these things about how to be a doctor, how to heal ourselves. And I'm sorry, like it's very difficult. Now, if you come from Venezuela, where you always had to be your own bank, when you couldn't trust anyone or anyone around you, and somebody tells you, "Hey, this is the way to do it." You're like, of course, I wouldn't do it any other way. Like, every, I don't trust anyone else, and I can't open accounts with people that I do trust. So this is this is par for the course for me. But if you're telling somebody that's lived their entire lives with their mm. retirement savings accounts and everything's two clicks away, everything's protected. Oh, somebody did a fraudulent transaction in my car. Don't worry, Mister Robertson. Money's back on the account. <laughs> oh, the wire didn't land to my friend. Don't worry, Mister Robertson. Wire's been located and sent back. Like. There's a reason Middleton came to be where they came to be, right? Yeah. Like, it's very hard for you to be all of the things that that you need to be. We 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 say we talk a lot about independence in this community, and don't get me wrong, I applaud this idea of independence. But human beings are inherently dependent on each other. Yeah, like we are not even independent until we're eighteen. 15 we 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 have bowls of dependency upstairs all three of us so you you can't say that we are these glorious independent beings from day one we depend on our families we depend on our friends we depend on the people that we work with 
we depend on a lot of things happening so that we can have our own freedom. So I just, you know, sometimes I, I, I think that gets missed. Wow. That's a that great, great point. And I think we're going to double back to that for sure. I think in this, in, in part of the second half of the episode, we want to talk about responsible banking and responsible digital asset intermediaries before we transition. I want to make a couple closing comments about the, the BlackRock deal. There are downsides. We've articulated some of them, like even the in-kind redemptions that are going to be allowed. It's for select investors. As of right now, it's written in as whole coins only. So it's for the big players, these redemptions. There's the concern overarchingly of just, there's going to be a lot of money flowing into a vehicle that where, where self-custody and sovereignty isn't at play. But man, do I resonate with what you said, because a lot of self-custody is the fact that you can, not necessarily the fact that you do. And what's so powerful about Bitcoin is no matter how big it gets, no matter how strongly institutions step in, you have the ability to hold the bearer asset. I think it's also worth mentioning that a, a BlackRock Bitcoin ETF is far less concerning than, say, an Ethereum BlackRock ETF. And that is because of a deep conviction and understanding, or at least we think, of the key importance of proof of work. That being that the holders of the asset do not inherently make the rules. Okay, And, and this is where I would say Bitcoin has go-fuck-yourself technology. We saw this in 2017, where the, the people that run the nodes, the globally distributed community of actual users that are very slow to update and change their mind, have the ability to tell big money to go fuck itself. And yes, BlackRock, if they have a huge ETF along with other institutional players, they will be a powerful voice in, say, a hard fork scenario. But if they want to come in with some, they want to up the supply cap, they want to go to some ESG form of Bitcoin, the rest of the network, as it continues to blossom and grow and spread, has the ability to say, go fuck yourself. Where that could get weird is actually for the holders of the ETF. Let's say that BlackRock picked Bitcoin Cash back in 2017. The yep. people with Bitcoin Cash in that scenario with the money kind of trapped in that system would be screwed. But for someone that's self-custodying Bitcoin, I don't I don't care how much money flows in be... at this date and time. I don't see the protocol. I don't see a consensus rule changing. And that is going to be very, very foreign and unprecedented for these massive players as this asset matures for them to realize it's in many ways out of their control. And this is the beauty of an open source, globally distributed proof of work protocol. You can step in at one date and time, think you have your hands around one, you know, at, at, at some phase or, or some year, but this thing has the ability to scale and layer and change and morph. That's why we call it almost every week a slippery hawk, right, Josh? That's a that's a really interesting question you brought up, though. Do, there must be some language in there that outlines what happens with a fork. Like, what do there we do? There is, there is. It says that they're not guaranteed to pick the the longest chain or the winning chain, and that that's in the risk disclosures. Like, it's stated, and it's actually been flagged for some by some people on Twitter. But the, what I'll say back to that is like it all comes back to self interest. Like if you are the BlackRock manager and <laughs> you're watching theory. this play yeah. out and you're like, okay, no, we're going to do Bitcoin Cash because we believe strongly that it's Bitcoin Cash. And you already saw what happened in 2017. You, uh, how, many people are gonna, how many people are going to own a, any BlackRock product after that? Because if right. I'm a big size guy and I'm using BlackRock for all of my stuff, then all of a sudden I see a, a massive blunder on the Bitcoin ETF like that where it wipes my position. I'm like, uh, 
I'm going to go to the manager that picked the long chain because all of the guys are the correct Bitcoin. At least none of my crypto stuff is going to stay with this black rock. Yeah. You would uh, think group, at the bare are, minimum. They're they, out for lunch. They'd have to sit you know, on like, that for a long enough period of time to be very confident in whichever they go with. You know, right. There's no or way they could make that decision right off the bat. At least not. Yeah. Or or the way TradFi does it all the time. They'll, they'll hedge all of their options. They'll yeah. keep the airdrops. They'll hold them in. They'll paper some instrument and some agreement that you have to click on. And then, you know, if if it goes up, they win and you lose. If it goes down, they win and you lose. And, you know, <laughs> somehow you always have that, like, there are ways, financially speaking, to structure a product. If, if what's happening is you're getting an airdrop and you don't want to just market sell that thing, at the end of the day, you can always go back to the disclosures, right? Like, hey, we said that we may not pick the winning chain. We are sorry. We'll try to make you whole. We'll try to make you happy in some form. But I think, again, it's going to go back to game theory. Nobody wants to be the guy running the Bitcoin Cash ETF, right? <laughs> like, yeah. Um, and so that people are going to look at themselves in that mirror. And trust me, BlackRock's not going to be alone running a Bitcoin ETF. Yeah. Uh, well, there's Black rumor fidelity's coming. Right, there's rumor fidelity's coming right behind them with what do they have? Four mm-hmm. trillion under management. Uh, yeah. I thought it was seven. So like something like that. And then there will be the sort of all sorts of flavors of ETX. You know, you have like three X inverse S and P five hundred or two X. Like there's going to be a plethora and a gamut of these funds. And these firms are all bidding for that, right? Like they're all bidding to become the 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 de facto fund or the de facto company for a particular industry. And so they have a big vested interest in that their investors do well, even if they don't want the underlying asset to do well for any particular reason, they're going to come at odds because they need their investors to do well. Mm. If the investors don't do well, that reflects poorly on them there and that hurts their business. And so they're in the business of appeasing investors and investors want Bitcoin. Don't get it confused. Yeah. You know, you, you stop giving the Bitcoin, you're going to stop caring about it. Mm. Well, last statement here, there's a lot of money that appears to be coming. We don't know on what timeline, but let's just say hypothetically BlackRock is able to enter, which it seems that they will at some point. I mean, Fidelity's already in the game, but they come in with an... I mean, you're talking tens of trillions, potentially, if you even go a quarter of a percent, a half a percent of those assets under management at the margin, what could happen to the price of Bitcoin is significant, and that will also drive a lot of the game theory that we've highlighted. As price goes up, a lot of things just start happening, which we've seen for the last 14 years. Well, interesting that you say that because one of the predictions I made back in 2023, at the beginning of 2023, was that we were going to see more uh, corporate treasuries announce Bitcoin purchases and that we were going to see more, potentially one central bank announce a Bitcoin purchase. And six months into the year, we haven't really seen that, right? Like we we saw Michael Strategy, Michael Saylor went out and bought more, but that's Michael Saylor. We know he's going to buy, right? Um but we haven't seen, we saw Tesla didn't sell more, but that was Tesla. They already had it. We hadn't seen, we haven't seen any net new announcements of purchases. And granted, you know, right now interest rates are high. So all those corporate treasuries can go to the Fed and get a nice return. Uh, and there, there's no real sort of fear of, of devaluation uh, in the same way that we had in the past because you're getting, again, 5% of the Fed. Um, but all these things run its course, right? And in the past, we had, one country that was perceived as incredibly rogue to go and adopt Bitcoin, 
right? And to give Bitcoin to its people. And we thought that was insane. Like the IMF, everybody was chastising. Like the, it, they rained on them. And now within the span of two years, you have the chairman of the Federal Reserve say Bitcoin has staying power. When the chairman of the Fed says Bitcoin has staying power and you have half of the global south, if not all of the global south, look at the balance sheets of any central bank of a country that is not aligned with the U.S. What are they buying right now? Gold, hand over fist, just pounding all the gold mm-hmm. they can find. At some point, they're going to say, well, if they said this thing has staying power, and if we can sort of start thinking about the game theory being the first ones in, like El Salvador did, then it very quickly becomes this asymmetric upside, right? Like, oh, okay, let's put a billion here. What happens? We lose a billion. But if this thing 10x is, yeah. like, good luck. And it's, right? We all, we've said this so many times, but it's worth repeating here especially for people that are relatively new, like this is the only thing in the world that has a, a finite supply, like gold, every central bank in the world can buy as much as they want. There's going to be more dug out of the ground and they're going to be incentivized to do it. But this thing has a finite supply of 21 million. So when that, when that asymmetry plays out, it is exponential time, like nothing else, you know, it, it, it just has rocket fuel when it does that. And the FOMO and all of the other stuff piles on. And that's again, why we see these things every four years, just exponentially accelerate to the to the moon and then 70% down again. But this time definitely feels like it's warming up pretty quickly. Yeah, and then what I'll caveat is a lot of times these events end up being a buy the rumor, sell the news kind of event. Um, why? Because it, um, typically speaking, like if you look at, um, you know, even the halving, right? Like there's a big anticipation up until the halving, the halving happens and it sells off. And then people realize the supply is not as, as as sturdy as it used to be. So then it gradually starts wrapping up again. But I think right now you have this sort of wave of anticipation and you feel like the world's most savvy investors are going to YOLO into Bitcoin now that it's 2x since October. Uh, and I don't know that that's the case necessarily. You know, I think that they're going to get this product and they're going to say, well, I'm not going to buy retail bags. So maybe they wait it out, but they have an allocation. They have it. You know, they know that when it gets to X price, or what what it, what this is going to do is going to create immense support mm. to the downside. In my humble opinion, like when the BlackRock ETF is approved, like I do think that that was the last time we saw Bitcoin at twenty k. Like we they're, they're, we won't see it back at twenty k. So every time these things happen, I don't look so much as at the potential upside because I know that's infinite and I can kind of play with the mind forever. Mm. I look at higher lows, higher lows, yeah. higher lows. Like where's the base of the buyer of last resort, right? How many buyers, every time the pie grows, there are more buyers of last resort. There are more people that go out and say, oh snap, the next COVID event, we get the next 20 to 30% down move in the market. I know exactly how Bitcoin performed right after. I know the playbook of the central banks. I know exactly how precious metals and crypto response. So guess what? I have my limit order ready you know, it, it, or you're doing the, or you're doing sort of structured products. So we launched a product called dual cryptocurrency, the uh, notes, which are not available in the U.S. or Canada, but to any other client, you can have your dollars that you want to use. So say you want to buy Bitcoin at 25K and you say, I'm be a happy buyer at the end of this month. Well, you put in a contract. You basically say, if Bitcoin is at 28K or lower at the end of this month, my dollars will be converted into Bitcoin. I will get Bitcoin. 
But in the meantime, you're always getting an outsized return. Like right now, we're paying, depending on the strikes and, and the prices of the terms, but you can get annualized rates of the 18 to 20% as you do this. Um, so because you, you, you're working with derivatives markets in the back end. But basically, all I'm trying to say is like, once this product exists, they already know how to make money in all sorts of markets mm. for Bitcoin. If they have a target to buy it at this price, they'll use a strategy that yields the maximum amount until that price is reached. And so it basically becomes a, an important tool in your strategy. And once that strategy is in place, you just have a base, right? Because you know that if you're not buying today, you're going to buy later on at this particular price. But what it does every time you get more buyers in is that it moves this base, right? Yeah. Um, yep. And so I... I like thinking about it more in that way than, you know, what, you know, I have people ask me like, wow, what's your price target for Bitcoin in the next 12 months? And I'm like, yeah. I don't know, but I'm pretty sure if this thing gets approved, we're not going to see it back at 25 ever again. How long do you think this, uh, what do you think the time frame is on this getting approved or not approved? So they have three windows. I think the first window for approval is August 17th uh, for, for BlackRock itself. However, I know ARC is ahead of, Black Crook on the list. And one person I follow very closely, which I recommend everyone else do, especially when it comes to ETFs, is Eric Balchunas. He's the Bloomberg ETF specialist. He actually put out a tweet earlier today and he said that apparently, it's a rumor, it's unconfirmed, but apparently the SEC has asked all the Bitcoin spot applicants to meet with it next week. And I'm not sure if this is confirmed or not, or if this will happen, Eric said it himself, you know, I'm, I'm disclosing that this is a rumor. Mm -hmm. He agrees that they need to talk. I'm unclear as to what it would be. I think I think the, the SEC is now basically feeling way too much pressure that these things have to get approved. And now everybody's piling on because they're seeing, oh, BlackRock's going to get approved. And now I think they're saying, okay, well, hold on. Like now there's Fidelity and now there's all these sort of big names that are showing up expecting an approval. And they kind of have to approve it now <laughs> because if if they don't at this point, after Jerome said this, after Coinbase is starting to make inroads with their legal uh, disputes, they're going to start looking. And after they had this whole Prometheus debacle, like they're starting to look like they could be doing a better job in, in, some, in some areas, right? Or they could be at least more organized or... or um, cohesive if you would mm. so i think they're feeling a little bit of like the pressure that this thing now everybody's kind of expecting this to be approved and now that you have so much powerful people expecting an approval there's only one way out of this is an approval yeah. <laughs> you know, like you you don't you don't want to put that two in the black rock record like 575 and two like <laughs> ugh, right. you know um that's gonna not that's not gonna look great Especially not in this environment. That's kind of going to help Gensler's chances of getting a job at BlackRock after. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you're right. Tour. You're right. That, or or funding the next campaign, election years next year. Yeah. I will say, uh, someone else that I pay a ton of attention to with this stuff is Joe Carlosare, and he is more pessimistic. He has been saying, I think I saw a tweet where he has it maybe in the thirty percent likelihood that this gets approved within the year, and he swims in these waters. He talks about this. We'll link this in the show notes. He went on with uh, Preston and American Hoddle a couple weeks ago and sort of enumerated some of his concerns. For me, uh, with limited research and, and full understanding, 
I would say, like anything, timeline unknown, but the trend seems obvious. So I would yeah. I would caution, you know, don't fall into some trap. And you were saying this, I think, before we click record of thinking that like tomorrow, this thing's just going to go to the moon because of the BlackRock ETF. A lot of times markets move in opposite directions of news. And I wouldn't I wouldn't make trades or or conclusions right now, but it, it seems likely this will get approved in the future. And then you think about the buckets of capital that have come in and, and what we what could come in and all the things we've talked about for the last 50 minutes. You extrapolate the long-term implications and it, it is bullish yeah. for valuation for sure. DCA as always. I, I had, you know, I, I, like I was telling you at the beginning of the show, I get very skeptical whenever everybody's pointing in one direction and, and sure that this is going to happen or that's going to happen. And and so I like I would argue that even if the ETFs got approved tomorrow, you could probably see a correction before you see an increase because yep. everybody has bought in on the expectation mm. that this thing's going to get approved. Yeah. And so once it once the news hits, everybody's expecting, you know, the floodgates of the ETF to open on day one and hit, but that's not how it's likely going to go down. And so I would caution people that whenever something is talked about as a given, even though I have said that there's a very good chance the BlackRock ETF gets gets approved, if you look at my portfolio, that's not how I'm positioned, right? Like I have to stay nimble and make sure that regardless of the outcome, we're going to be okay. If you YOLO into, oh my God, this thing's going to 2X, like you can get in trouble, right? So I, I'm usually very skeptical of when people expect a particular event to profit from it, it never happens. Mm. Like when, when you're looking around and it's like, it, it, look at the market. Everybody was thinking, it's like, oh my God, we're going to crash. Well, guess what happens when everybody has, is, has hedged and has puts on all of their positions? Nobody sells. What happens when nobody sells? Things don't go down. <laughs> like the, the people that move markets are the unprepared people and the overextended people on the margins, right? Like the reason we're not seeing a, a foreclosure wave like we saw in 2008 in the United States is because people learned from 2008 and they locked up 30-year mortgages at zero when the Fed gave its incentives. And so no one's going to go out now and refinance at five. Yeah, That's ludicrous. Mm -hmm. And so it's not when everybody is expecting the housing market to collapse. Oh my God, interest rates are surely going to collapse the housing market. Well, look under the hood. Everybody locked them up for three years at 1% or at least a great chunk of people did. So markets learn and the outcome is going to be very different. If you look at the volatility index, the VIX on the S&P 500 after COVID, it remained elevated until the first half of this year. Just last week, it went down to pre-pandemic levels. So right now, what investors have done is like, COVID came, everybody did this, they put their guards up and they were getting banged from all places. Then markets started rallying and people will slowly be like, oh. and then they started lowering their guard, lowering their guard. And right now everybody's like, oh, I guess we're going up. And when we're going up and you don't have protection and you're just looking in one direction, that's typically when some of the big guys are like, okay, you know, this is this is our time. This is our, this is our shot. And go place your market sell orders. Nobody's hedged. Force, force liquidations and the market starts moving down. Um, but right now, I'm starting to see people look up and up and up, and I'm starting to say, okay, in the same way that at the beginning of the year, everybody was like, oh my God, where, when are we hitting zero? You know, when are the markets going to evaporate? Everybody bought puts, everybody got hedged. What did the market do? 30% rally. Like, 
you know, it's it's going to go in the direction that people aren't expecting it to go. Because if you're expecting it to go, by definition, it's not getting there. Yeah. <laughs> it's you're almost, already hedged. It's that unpredictability, uh, unpredictability factor that Taleb, even though he's kind of a douche, he talks about in the Black Swan quite a bit, which is when the market recognizes a pattern. And I was going to talk about this in the context of Bitcoin as well. Like we've all recognized the four-year pattern. We've all seen it do this four times now where it has these exponential peaks and then it blows up and comes back down 75% or so. We all think this is definitely going to happen again. But he talks a lot about in that book how when these patterns are recognized on a whole by enough participants, they cancel themselves out effectively because everyone expects a certain outcome. They all bet on the same in the same direction as you're exactly as you're uh, enumerating there. And then it just doesn't happen because there's just enough. There's not enough people at the margin. So yeah. it, that's an interesting way to Correct. think about it, it. What I like about the BlackRock ETF, again, not to bring this back and make this whole show about the BlackRock ETF, but that's exactly who's coming in. It's people on the margins. It's people that haven't been able to buy Bitcoin today. This isn't like Coinbase launching in a new country or Lenin opening up a service to a new place. This is a, a group of people that has the largest pool of capital, of retirement, you know, retirement vehicle capital in the planet. And this type of capital has not been able to access Bitcoin and it has been aching to access Bitcoin. They've had to do it through some exotic European ETPs or some Canadian you know, exchange-traded funds, but they don't really feel that great doing that. They would much prefer to do it through BlackRock or Fidelity. So if you're giving them the tool, this is going to be, you know, the first thing is it's going to eat, eat up flows from all these international ETFs bring this back to the global financial center, which is the US, but it's also um, going to get net new people that in, into Bitcoin. Like it's 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 an inevitability. And and these are people that wouldn't have gone and bought it at an ATM, wouldn't have gone and bought it at a Coinbase. Right. Uh, and that's that's people from the margins. That's people that the guys that are here, we're not selling. <laughs> you know, like right. no, none of those dudes are gonna take my Bitcoin. They're gonna take someone else's Bitcoin. Um, and with when you have a group of people that have been hardened so much by what's happened. Like when I when I said to, when I when I used to tell people, I wrote a blog about three weeks ago that talked about like if you were gonna panic sell your Bitcoin, you probably did it when Terra and Luna collapsed, or you probably did it when Celsius and Blarfight collapsed, or you probably did it when some of the 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 sixteenth largest bank in the United States collapsed and Silvergood and Signature collapsed. Um, but if you hadn't sold your Bitcoin. Or what? Or when the SEC came after Coinbase or Binance? Yeah. If you haven't sold your Bitcoin now, like there are very few things on this planet that can get you to sell that Bitcoin. Right. The other the other point we haven't made yet, which I think is important, is that moves like this are going to destigmatize this asset considerably. I was just on a weekend trip in Wisconsin with a bunch of my college buddies, and it's funny because we're we're in this space all the time. We're thinking Bitcoin all the time, but interacting with new people as we all do often, you realize people people still think that this is totally empty here and that there's nothing here. And then there's just, just a giant correlation between broader crypto and Bitcoin. And it, it can be kind of shocking. I have to click back in and be like, okay, I get it. They're coming from a different lens. They have a different perspective. I have different experiences, but when people see this in their Fidelity 401k fund offerings in the year 2027, which is hypothetical, it's it's gonna it's gonna be a big impetus to destigmatize the asset class in general. And you know, as we talked about earlier, just 
move the conversation past elementary school into high school where this is no longer a joke and people are taking it seriously. Yeah, I mean, I forget who said this, but like num- number go up is the best marketing technology. <laughs> number go up market itself (laughs) we love Uh, that meme we we so many of my friends and i've been trying to like orange pill all of my friends for the the freedom and self-custody and do this and own your own money most of them get into it because of ngu technology yep like they 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 care very little about this freedom so it's so much work i don't want to be free you know don't worry about it just make me money um and, and a lot of people get into it because, and then they discover, oh, oh, I can make money and be sovereign. I can make money and not have to ask an intermediary for my transactions and travel around the world and, and you know, spend freely as I want to. And then they're, and then they go down the rabbit hole. But NGU, like it's the best introduction uh, that anyone could have because it makes you feel like there's the, the, other people are doing something and they're very they're doing very well for doing so and you feel that you want to do very well and damn why can't you do what they do and so it creates this forced formal uh trigger that makes you want to learn about it um especially when you see people that are which is something that still holds true today the people in this industry are brilliant like open up any podcast any guest and listen to a conversation, and I'm and I'm yet to find a person that like intentfully listens to a conversation between two intellectually honest Bitcoiners and walks out being like, "All oh, these guys are fringe," or "All oh, these guys are this." Like, it's it's these are very educated conversations. Yes. Um, and so, and I mean, part of the work that you guys are doing. One last thing I want to say: we are so far from where we need to be as 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 humans understanding money. Like I had a conversation last week with somebody in Canada who, who to this day in the year of our Lord, 2023, thinks the Canadian dollar is backed by gold. Tons and of people here think that too. I am like, I didn't even know how to respond. I'm like, Can, I, I basically my response was, did you know Canada is only G7 nation with zero gold reserves? But yeah. <laughs> literally zero. Like there is no gold backing anything in Canada. Uh, but still people have it's, these ideas. It's such a meme that has been so driven into people's heads. And I don't think it's, um, I think it's purposeful, obviously. Like it, it gives people like this, oh, there's this thing out there that's very valuable that it backs all of our money and it, it makes you feel warm and fuzzy at night. But um, it, it, the the other thing I was in, to chime in on that theme, when you interact with someone that's in that headspace, Mauricio, and the three of us know nothing about all sorts of topics. So we'd be on the other side of the conversation in a different domain. But when you, when that is your language and somebody's that far behind, it's almost incapacitating for me. Like when someone says something like that, you're sitting there going, fuck, I need like an hour minimum to actually bring this person up to speed. And I just don't have that time. I just don't have that energy. And that's the challenge with orange pilling that everybody experiences is that you're trying to distill likely hundreds or thousands of hours of research that have that have solidified into conviction into sound bites and it's often just not possible and i just say that to encourage people because you know we were joking with harry sudak who was on here the other week like bitcoiners ruin parties because yeah someone says something like that 
And you then know, you need that hour. And then that turns into two. And then someone starts debating that turns into three and you fuck the whole party up because you just can't explain this sort of thing. Like many things in life, you cannot explain no. true detailed concepts in, in 10 minutes. It's just not possible. So yesterday, uh, my kids are in a 4th of July parade because they're on a, they're both ones on a T-ball, ones on a softball team. So I'm in the parade with them because my kids are young. You have to be in the parade with them. I'm wearing one, that 100K Bitcoin magazine hat. So one of the other dads, we're walking together. He's like, hey, what does that what does that hat mean? And I was like, oh, it's a it's a Bitcoin hat. It means it's going to go to 100K. And he was like, I thought I expected to get like the scoffing laugh, like, huh, this guy's an idiot. But he was like, oh, yeah. He's like, I, I, I've i heard that's a good hedge for a portfolio, like three to four percent. I was like, yeah, that's a good way to look at it. So we like talked about it for like the half hour walk. And by the end of that walk, we had like three or four other dads that all had like they didn't dismiss it. They all had like a pretty solid understanding, at least the basis of like what it is and had at least an inclination of like, this is a good hedge position for a portfolio. But, Having but never met these guys. When you're us though, Mauricio, it's hilarious. So it was pretty yeah, cool. We're, when, when, when you're at a parade or a party and someone hears a fireman saying this shit, they're like, they, they, they turn and run the other direction. I'm not saying Josh and I are experts, but very, very few people would know that we have lifelong passions in economics and we spend 20 hours a, a week researching finance because the headliner for guys like us is we're firemen. So in a lot of ways, we would strike people as the bellwether to to turn and tuck tail and go the other direction. And a lot of times you'd be right. Well, that's until you open your mouth because you guys are, are, are incredibly smart and you know, you guys talk like a university professor. Like, in fact, you're probably smarter than my university professors. Um, even though I, I, I do like my university, I, I had a good time there. But all this to say, like, you don't. Um, the proof is in the pudding. Like, you, you know, all you have to do is is be open minded. Mm. I've I got uh, orange pilled by. You know, my family in a dusty mining room in Venezuela. Like they weren't, oh, you know, like uh, Nobel Prize winning economists. Like they were fixing a problem that I understood very well. Mm. I saw how they solved the problem. Nobody had to explain it to me. I saw it. I was yeah. like, wow. I was up to, I've had very smart people tell me I'm wrong. That's how you start a business. Every single person told us we were crazy when we were starting yes. that. Every single person. And if we had listened to those people, we wouldn't be here. Um, a lot of times, people that you admire are going to hold views that you may not agree with. Uh, and at that point, you're going to face with a decision. <laughs> you know, do I, do I fall back on what he thinks or she thinks is right? Or do I go on what I think is right? And you can only do that first option for so many times before you start feeling like you're not being your true self. Right. Right. right? Uh, eventually there comes a point when you're like, you know what? I'm not going to go against my gut. Why would I go against my gut? It's the only way that you're going to make an outsized gain. If you do what everyone is doing and you don't take a risk, your best option or your best outcome is that average. So if you want to break the mold, you have to take a risk that is not being done. Um, so, Obviously, you have to do this with intention and, and and conviction. Like I knew after what Bitcoin did that it was going to be the reserve asset. Like it had to be the reserve asset. And if anything is a reserve asset, you have to be able to borrow against it. To me, it was just a matter of mm. time. And so that was 
the strategy the whole time with Ledin is no one's going to want to sell this thing. Why would you? <laughs> let me keep it. Give me the liquidity I need. Don't let me, don't, don't hit me on my upside from buying it and selling it and all the tax complications from doing so. And that, that was exactly what we went to market with. And, and of course, when we launched the product, Bitcoin was in a bear market. Everybody was still laughing at us. Hey, why would I borrow? I could just sell today and buy back for lower tomorrow. Hey, why would I borrow? And it wasn't until things bottomed and started going up that everybody was like, oh my God, I can't believe I sold my Bitcoin. <laughs> and then they're like, what do I have to do to not sell it? There's these guys that lend against it. Oh my God, I want to check them out. This is brilliant. <clears throat> and that, it's pretty simple mm. at the end of the day. Like you, you, you might have to go against some people you think are smart, 100%. Um, but hey, you know, that's the beauty in it. Man. Yeah, there, there, there is no half pregnant Bitcoin. Like to steal, to steal a Groman, he loves to talk about pregnancy when he talks about assets. But I... I do view Bitcoin's outcome as you articulated as, as quite binary. It's either going to be insanely valuable or it's not going to work. And when you envision insanely valuable Bitcoin that is some sort of front-running asset or, or global reserve currency or reserve set asset, even in, in moderate capacity, as you said, there's going to be lending and borrowing. There's going to be banking. There's going to be intermediaries. And that just needs to be done correctly. It feels like we're in that learning phase. You're at the very front lines of this battle, figuring out what works, what doesn't, what's a good idea, what's a bad idea. I want to unleash this for you to, to go on whatever sort of monologue you want. And that's just about the leaden journey, your journey over the last couple of years to start. And then maybe let's parlay in that into sort of you articulating how you think this needs to be done responsibly because we have seen a tremendous amount of fraud and irresponsibility of digital asset intermediaries and that needs to change and hopefully the free market can settle on on good participants like you folks take that wherever you want Mauricio um man thank you for that setup uh Dan I mean where to start um this journey has been it's hard to put into words. I, I, I have. I, I am very, truly living a dream uh, of, of having had the opportunity to build this company and help the people we do. Um, because that's the other thing. One, one, one VC told me this once when when we were trying to raise way back. Um, he said, "It's not often that you see a, a group of people or a company that can make money." and actually feel good about what they sell at night mm. or feel good about everything they do and the services they provide. And I think you guys have something really, really special. Um, because not only do we love the fact that we're a high growth company and we get to hire people and hire the best in class and, and have the resources to do all the things we want, but the products that we sell, I, I talk to people from where I'm from Almost daily, I, I talk to people from Venezuela, I talk to people from Colombia, I talk to people from Argentina, people that are going through some of the stuff that I went through, and I went through all that stuff without these tools. Uh, but now there's a wealth of more tools, there's stable coins, there's so many more things that you can do when you're afraid or where you don't want to go into something you don't understand. There's so much more ways to learn um, that this has been incredible. And I, and I see the impact that this is having on people from all over the world. I've had people from Canada and the US tell us without your loans, like thanks to your loans, I have like 
materially improved my financial well-being uh, because I was able to not sell my Bitcoin during this rally. And I just want to say thank you. And that is incredible. Of course, I'll say we offer a lending product. There are risks in lending products. Uh, there's like two primary risks. There's the if you, if you borrow against your Bitcoin and the price drops and you don't plan yourself accordingly, you're going to have to top up the Bitcoin because we have to always have a cushion that is above and beyond the dollar amount that we lent you. So if the market value of the Bitcoin gets close to that, there's no option for us but to sell it to maintain the integrity of the operation. And that is a commitment that we will never deviate from. Um, and what we do to protect our clients is we give them options. We have auto top-ups uh, where people can pre-authorize the, the transactions. Uh, people can send additional collateral to their to their address at any time to protect their loan. They can repay the loan at any time if they want to do so. Uh, and now we have the option also to rebalance collateral if the Bitcoin price rips and you want to take some back that you can do that now on the platform. So we just want you, we're going to give you the tools to manage. We we, we want to be very upfront about the rules that we have to play by so mm -hmm. that you can prepare yourself and play by it. And our commitment is that we will do what we tell you that we will do. At Led and Adam, we say this often, uh, you know, there's but there's what you should do and there's what you can do. Mm. And that was particularly true in the absence of regulation. Um, there is what you can do yep. and then there's what you should do. And if you do the things you can do, that can get you into trouble. Um the things you should do is you should be operating at the same or higher standard than everyone else around you if you just if you want to level this thing up if you want bitcoin services to really be better than traditional finance you need to operate by their standards or higher or create a better more efficient set of standards what i think is um unfortunate about what happened or or, or recent events is that we had um, there's been a series of of events that have sort of tainted the industry, and there are a few big ones. So let's talk about them. Like there's the sort of collapse of the decentralized finance schemes, which brought down Terra and Luna, which ultimately brought down Three Arrows, which ultimately brought down Celsius, and which almost brought down BlockFi. Um, at the time, um, we even bid for BlockFi. And we tried to acquire them. Uh, we had a competing bid from FTX. And at the time, BlockFi decided to take the FTX bid uh, because they deemed that that would be a better outcome uh, for, for their people. This group, um, you know, nobody had a crystal ball. So I'm not pointing fingers here or saying, you know, we know these guys knew exactly how to take you know, what boxes to take, what hands to shake, what false information to present. Yes. Um, they come from this world. They came from the highest spheres of TradFi and the higher spheres of legal compliance in the United States. If you look at their families and their professional backgrounds, they knew what boxes had to be ticked. And what happened in this sort of era of excesses and during the run-up is that a lot of operators in their desire to compete uh, and, and, and try to grow at all costs, literally at all costs, they started doing things that completely irresponsible and completely reckless. 
And among those things is any lending operation should be able to withstand one counterparty failing. If you if your lending operation cannot withstand one counterparty failing, you have failed concentration risk 101. That is literally one of the first risks you learn about when you're talking about any lending activity. It's concentration and then there's correlation risk, which was some of what we saw in SVB. But there's all sorts of risks. Um, it's, it's important to say that the turmoil that we've seen in markets in general didn't just bring down crypto firms. It brought down the 16th biggest bank in the United States. Okay, yes. So this is not all the crypto people. Um, this is Silicon Valley, First Republic, Silvergate and Signature. Um, so if, if, you, if you wanted to talk outside of crypto for a second, these were adults, fully regulated adults. Right. Right? Uh, it, um, to zoom out, it's it's... There were significant systemic risks surrounding long-dated treasury overexposure in an interest rate environment that a lot didn't predict. So I agree. Just to pin this tale completely on the crypto donkey is, is totally unfair. Completely unfair. This is not a, a crypto-related or crypto-related. Crypto no, it's not a crypto-specific event. This event happened in other banks, and you can't blame SVB on crypto. Like SVB had like a sliver of crypto clients. And in fact, again, not to speculate, but it sure I sure found it interesting that any suiting bidder for Silvergate had to debank their entire crypto clients, which happened to be the largest line of client and the most profitable line of clients. So I don't necessarily think that all of those failures were done equally. Uh, but um, all this to say that the turmoil that we saw in the markets took down TradFi and crypto firms alike that weren't behaving or acting mm. responsibly. So today I'm proud to say that I believe we're the only living lender uh, in this industry. Holy and shit, that's crazy. Yeah, I mean, I nuts. guess I had known that if I thought it through, but you really kind of are the last man standing. And if we're standing when the 16th biggest bank in the United States is not. And mind you, we don't run the same operations, but we face similar risks, right? And the fact that our operation has withstood the most violent market swings that I have ever lived through, uh, you know, I feel very proud to say that we have, I believe, the blueprint on yeah. which we can rebuild this industry. And we are doubling down on transparency. We're doubling down on accountability. That's what we have done. If you look at what we've done since you know year to date, what has led and what has led been focused on? Proof of reserves. Push out proof of reserves. We pushed out our, our latest one was in March, but we, we're continuing to do them. We do them every six months and we're, we're continuing to do them. Like this is not rocket science. This is something that we have done for three years now and we continue to do. When all the turmoil was happening, everybody was rushing to implement proof of reserves. And they were coming out with these half-baked solutions where they had almost all of the assets, but not these, and some assets, but not liabilities. And you know why that is? Because it's very difficult to do proof of reserves retroactively. It's incredibly difficult to try to bring on proof of reserves once you have five products 
and and mm. serves you know different you know yeah. uh, hundreds of thousands of clients. It's it's very very hard, well, and you support hundreds of assets. <laughs> that um, right that yeah, model that, that, that you described piece. though of of being you know holding yourself to the standard at the bare minimum of the regulated banking industry obviously has been incredibly fortuitous for you guys you were able to withstand this thing and it was a maelstrom as you just described like the entire industry upheaved itself turned its in a, it it was it's just amazing that you guys are still here honestly because that was insane what happened isn't yeah. and it's a testament to how good you guys are are what a good job you guys are doing at, at managing risk at your but what that's going to give you guys is a huge leg up in the next bull run over the next few years you're the only game in town and people are going to want to, to borrow against their bitcoin it's it's going to happen so I, yeah. I'm, I'm glad to see you guys in the position that you're in i think it, it couldn't have gone to a better survivor yeah i mean I yeah it. and, really and, and, and to, to follow up josh with a couple comments i think not only internally with what you've described but also just externally in terms of what products people are signing up for. The first time you came on this show, we kind of went at you. Like we we asked some difficult questions, we probed and you you guys have been committed to to risk transparency. You're not telling people they have a form of bitcoin that they don't. And I I really think that's where responsible bitcoin banking if you will is headed is just a, a, a new form of risk transparency where, you know, I heard Breedlove say this recently, like fractional reserve banking, for example, isn't inherently bad. It's bad when you tell people that they have something in full when they have it in part. If you're upfront that, hey, you're getting such and such yield because we're using your Bitcoin in other ways and you have to trust us in the middle in this capacity. When that is put forward and people understand that and see that, that is fair. That is equitable. People know the risk that they're entering into. The other comment I wanted to make about you guys, because you, you you probably have some hardcore libertarian folk listening, thinking, who, why would you ever part with your Bitcoin? Why is lending and borrowing ever in play? And it's like, there's just such a gross misunderstanding of how the economy works and how the mechanics function and how you stand up businesses. Because I guarantee you, a Venezuelan entrepreneur is not asking that same question. They're in desperate need and desire of capital. And as you said earlier, as Bitcoin marches on to be a more and more prominent player, there is going to be a budding borrowing and lending market, maybe whether you like it or not, with your self-custody in Bitcoin. That, that's that's 100% right. I think the, the, the ability to be able to borrow against your Bitcoin and get liquidity against your Bitcoin makes Bitcoin better. Because A, it removes selling pressure from the books. It keeps the Bitcoin wealthier. A Bitcoiner is, is able to maintain more of their wealth because they don't have to deal with the tax implications of a sale or a repurchase. So it is an incredibly useful instrument in every other reserve asset. Find me one reserve asset that you don't take a loan against. Find me one. You won't. Yeah. Because it's where people hold most of their, of their funds or most of their wealth. And you know that it has a function that it cannot be printed. So in the time that you sell it and you try to buy it back and you try to time the market, guess what? People that are old enough and have tried to do this enough times, they're like, you know what? I'm better off borrowing. And, you know, yes, there's a risk, but there's also the risk that I can sell it and I can't buy it back. Or there's a risk that I can sell it and I got robbed with the proceeds. Like 
there are a plethora of risks. And I think to your point, Dan, like one of the biggest issues was that a lot of these firms were saying that that these products were not risky, that these products were, in some cases, there was a firm, they were longer here, of course, but they even said that their their dollar or their stablecoin accounts were FDIC insured. And you know that's a lie. And best I could do during the run-up was to tell my clients that were referencing this was, you know that's not, like, that cannot be true. Like, there are no banks offering these services, therefore there cannot be FDIC. So just make sure you're asking the right questions. So at Ledin, we were we're almost too upfront with the risk because we we want people to have a good experience. We want people to act and behave accordingly or, or prepare accordingly. What we don't want is somebody here that all of a sudden is is you know learning things that the, about their product halfway down the road. Um, that that's not in our view responsible. Yeah. Bitcoin is just such a tremendously low time preference game. It, it really is. It, it's like in most of the rest of finance, particularly in insanely low interest rates and envi- environments, it's been growth first at all costs, survival second. And Bitcoin calls that bluff and says, no, it's survival first and growth second, because you can start and flare out very quickly if you fuck around with something that's this transparent and accountable and fixed. And so I, I guess I caution anyone in any project, lower that time preference, man, extend that time horizon and play the long game. Because if, if you're playing short, your chances of winning are very, very low. No, 100%. Like if you're, if you're somebody that is starting their Bitcoin journey or you want to start something in the industry or you want to start, it's, it's not going to be. Uh, uh, you're not going to have people cheering you on the back the whole time being like, you go, man, you're doing it. You're doing it. Keep doing it. Uh, likely the opposite is going to happen. You're going to be questioned and you're going to, and people are going to doubt you and people are going to say you're insane. Uh, why are you giving up all these opportunities to go focus on this? Like you will be questioned. And by the way, if, if that's not happening, you're kind of late. <laughs> because, yeah, uh, you're, you're you're not really going to make the impact that you think you are because everybody's being like, yeah, go to high banking, you know, become an investment banker. Like, there is no massive outsized payday other than a really sweet paycheck, perhaps. But you know, if you want to have um, an impact in Bitcoin, um, you're going to have to do this. And I know and understand that people may not understand why you're so passionate or why you want to do this. And you also have to understand that Bitcoin may not pay you back in the same way or form. It may take years for you to get the benefits of all the work that you're doing. Like, mm. you know, we, uh, I mind, and I did well, but I have, you know, there, there were a lot of hard times uh, for years before Ledin. And, and, you know, the first few years of Ledin, it was very hard to get people to understand why our product worked and VCs to want to fund us because they wanted to see more traction. And it was constantly like people saying, you know, do people really want to borrow against a Bitcoin? Who want to do this? And we just had to go on and explain our reasons and explain the whys. And sure enough, you know, it, things, things turned around. Bitcoin started going up. The product made evident sense for everyone around. And it became a thing where, oh my God, these guys are brilliant. Overnight, man, I, I joked I joked with Adam that what was fascinating about that whole process was that in 2019, 
I was going on podcasts and trying to get people to understand Bitcoin, understand why borrowing against your Bitcoin may be a good idea if you need it. After the pandemic, I was going on podcasts and telling people why Bitcoin is good and why they should borrow against it. Before the pandemic, everybody thought we were lunatics. Mm. After the pandemic, I was saying the same things and people thought we were geniuses. <laughs> and what I do day in and day out didn't change. What changed was the way how pe the way people perceived us. Mm. And that comes with, you may not even, you can't control that. You just have to put in the love and put in the hours. And if, if the collective project that you're working on has the impact that it will have, you will get the recognition for all the work that you did. If you want, you can always stay anonymous. But when you contribute real value, you get value back. You know, this community has been incredible. Um, you know, I started out with nothing. Like I, I had, my Twitter account was at zero. I am not some content maker. I don't have like uber rich parents that went to Harvard. You know, like we, and a lot of people here are just hardworking people. Like look at Lynn Alden's story. It's was crazy. Real, she's yeah, she's, she's it's not even necessarily like, uh, uh, but, but it's like Michael Saylor, another great, brilliant dude. And he's blown up because of Bitcoin. But like, you know, maybe maybe Michael Saylor is not sort of the best example of, of, of racks to riches. Um, but, I, I uh, thought you were going to regale us with like he was penniless and destitute when he was a young no, man. Let's just, let's no, just make, no. a, let's just make let's up just a make story, Josh. Yeah. Send a Twitter thread. It'll blow up. Yeah. That would be fun. But, let's do that. We'll work on that tomorrow at work. But no, I mean, I know, I know a lot of real people that have, you know, done work for lightning or contribution or work for lightning and, and they don't necessarily get the big paychecks or the big recognition or Bitcoin core developers that have a hard time getting funding, but they go in and they do it every day. Like your your payout can vary and you may not even get one, but it's not even about the payout. Like the payout should be how you feel that this project is evolving and how many people it's helping, right? Like I love the fact that I wake up every day and I say, there are Bitcoiners around the world that are being able to hold their Bitcoin because they were able to borrow against it from Lenin. And I feel like I added value. That, I mean, that feels great. And, you know, I, I, I can feel, um, you feel better as a person, right? Like if, you, if you're adding value and you feel like people are really appreciating what, appreciating what you're doing, you feel a lot better about what you do. Uh, and that makes it easier to wake up every morning and go do what you want to do. Um, yeah. I mean, the alternative is you could be Sam Bankman freed and under house arrest, uh, feeling like a, I don't know, maybe he's enough of a psychopath to not feel like a piece of shit after being that big of a piece of shit, but it's hard to say. What do you think? But he's I can't doing, imagine jerking, having jerking to jerking off like guy. six or seven times a day. I don't know. Yeah, um, he's just wearing out porn, but, growing you, calluses. Yeah. Here, here's the thing though, is that, and this is how I'm going to tie, this is going to be my, my closer as we tie this together. You don't even have to be making that amount much money right now for this to be impactful. And this is why I think we're so passionate about barking about this asset at this date and time. And it's it's poignant, especially with the Black Rocks of the, of the world stepping in here, is that this little guy opportunity could be partially close. fading. You know, I mean, I'm, I think Bitcoin will always be a great place to preserve buying power. But in terms of multiplying it in a way that could change your life trajectory, that ship will sail eventually. And, and we don't know quite when that will be, but you can still be. We, we firmly believe that you can still be a career firefighter paramedic with decently responsible cash flow 
stacking sats, and that could change your life. We're still in that window. Mm-hmm. Uh, 100%. Like, let me give you an example. There's a lot of generational wealth here in Canada today. You know how that generational wealth was made? Some dude immigrated here 40 years ago and decided to put down a down payment on a piece of property in a place called Toronto. And he just decided to not sell it. Yeah. That man's entire, that man's family for two generations has their future secure. Because they bought a house in the right place at the right time. Yeah. And they didn't sell it. They didn't do anything to it. They didn't knock it down. They didn't build a building. No, that thing went from 100K to $2.7 million. And your mortgage was 50K. Like maybe, you know, maybe you borrowed a little bit against it, but like it's still generational wealth. Right. It it will dwarf. Like, let me give you another stat that's like really sad. A house in Toronto, an average house in Toronto or Vancouver, an empty house appreciates more in value during a year than the combined incomes of the two people living in that house over the same year. So your petty cash is your salary. Your salary you should consider as almost a wash on your expense. You, to build wealth through your salary, you have to funnel some of that into an asset periodically. Yes. Because it's the assets that are going to do the growth while you're sleeping. You don't control right. when BlackRock files an ETF. You don't control when the next halving come. They just come. BlackRock just files. People just show up wanting to buy more Bitcoin every day, the same way they come showing up wanting to buy houses in Canada. You have the ability to buy a pristine asset at a fire sale price in a time when not enough people understand. Mm, yeah. That and- is a glorious opportunity and it won't make you rich tomorrow, but put that thing in a box, open it up in five to 10 years, you're going to be materially better off. And what you just said, I think is the absolute, you know, pinnacle of what the, what, why this opportunity exists. It's simply because so few people truly understand it. There's a lot of people on the periphery. They can kind of see the horizon, but they are nowhere near full understanding of what this is. I might include myself in some aspects of that. Like sometimes I feel like Am I really grasping the full extent of this? I feel like I am some days more than others, but it is magnificent when you truly grasp it. Yeah. A hundred percent. And to give you an, a, a sense of like, not everyone gets everything right. My dad came to Toronto when he was 17 and he was given the opportunity to come to Toronto, stay in Toronto, buy a property, make a life and kind of, and, and do it up here. When he came here and he saw that, like, no, this wasn't 17 years ago. Sorry. This was like, 40 years ago, before I was born, he came and he saw Toronto and he was like, you know what? Venezuela's better. And and he decided to invest and buy a property in Venezuela. Obviously, the outcomes would have been incredibly different and I probably wouldn't have been here. But it's like all this, all this to say is not everybody's going to get it right. Not everybody's going to see it and have a chance to understand it. In fact, I would argue that there are people out there that won't even be lucky enough to learn about Bitcoin until it's on a headline that says Bitcoin reached 100K. Yeah. And then yep. they're going to be like, oh man. But you know, they probably have benefits in other ways. But being able to even learn about Bitcoin is a massive privilege. Mm-hmm. Um, I, 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 and I, that's why I think El Salvador is going to do so well. It's not because of what they did. To, it's not because of what they did two years ago. It's because 
everyone there now. Like, think about this. If you're needed to, you know, if you're a Bitcoiner, in your mind, without even thinking about it, where do you want to go on your next vacation? You know, if you haven't been to El Salvador, a lot of people will probably say, I'm going to go check it out. I'm going to go to Bitcoin. It's like going yep. to the motherland. It's like going yep. to Mecca, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, and that all of a sudden cemented it as a tourism hub. If you look at Google searches for properties in El Salvador and compare them for properties in, in Nicaragua, Nicaragua was dwarfing El Salvador up until September of two years ago. And then all of a sudden it's like, Brr. have you looked at prices for property in El Zonte? I haven't it's recently. It's not cheap, my man. No. Uh, they've bought up basically a lot of the development land there. And the wow. condos are not cheap. And so... Damn it, Dan. We missed the window. Yeah, we it's did. It's okay. You got Bitcoin. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we own the frame, Josh. Yeah. It's true. It, it, exactly. It's, well, a, it's it, wealth preservation. And, he, you know, the the point here is... For for any salmon to to reach the spawning ground, they have to swim upstream for a long period of time. There's never anyone that's made a ton of money or ha- or, or executed a an outstanding generational trade where it was just a smashing win and public perception was behind them the entire time. And that's how I encourage Bitcoiners because we're still very much in that period of time. I mean, even for us podcasting for two and a half years now, we you know. You, you're in in the bull market. You're down in the bear. Everybody thinks you're an idiot, and there's just this cycle of genius yeah. and idiot, genius and idiot. If you're a Bitcoiner, and we're in the idiot phase, and you're go- if you're going to, you know, uh, multiply your 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 hard earned capital, you're going to have to live through multiple idiot phases. And I think they're far from over, dude. I think this thing's going to go to a huge number, and I think it's going to crash right back down. Get comfortable, strap in. I think the worst thing that could happen perceptions. to people is to hit that home run right off the bat because yes. you think you're a genius and you'll probably take another big swing and you'll completely whiff and you'll lose it all because you had that hyperinflated view of yourself. So I think it's a good, solid character building thing to level up nice and slow, even though it's not the way everyone wants to. But winning the lottery, if you look at it over uh, statistically, it is not good for people. Yeah, yeah. it's good. It's the Dunning-Kruger effect. I, I think there's a lot of that in Bitcoin. Um, yeah. in particular, and it's unfortunate, but it's part of part of the game. Um, one, I'll, I'll leave you with one comment on on what drives price, which is people on the margins. Uh, I had a, a I have a, a fond memory from a, a class at business school where we were talking about stock valuations and and blah blah blah, and and you know what could make stocks go up or make them go down, and and, and so everybody was talking about Apple, Apple this, Apple that, oh Apple's going to go to the moon, and the the professor goes, okay, show of hands, who here has Apple in their portfolio? <laughs> Every single person puts their hand. And so he goes, great. Where are the, where are the people that are going to buy it next? And everybody just kind of looked around and we're like, I'm like, we're all pretty loaded up. <laughs> uh, uh, and that's the beauty about Bitcoin. The fact that people are still laughing us out of a particular place or yes. kind of like doing the little smirks like, hey, he's a Bitcoiner. I'll tell you, you guys have probably seen this. Like I was a Bitcoiner back in the 2016, 2015 years. When I wanted to talk to somebody about Bitcoin, people thought I was a used car salesman. They were <laughs> like, hey, what are you trying to sell me, man? What's this Bitcoin thing? You're, you're so you're so random. You're doing, you're from Venezuela. Like, you know, what? what? Why would I listen? You know, I'm in iBanking. I'm in consulting. Like, you know, 
I don't want to hear about your business idea or your project. Now, some of those people were like, I can't believe you didn't let me into your round. That is so <laughs> rude of you. And I'm like, and I'm like, I tried, <laughs> you know, but, but, but it's like, it's the people on the margins are going to make us all better off. <laughs> so, so, you know, the, yep. the, the more we can make Bitcoin better and the more we can keep it accessible and not shy people away. This is something that I actually would like to share here. We shouldn't be prescribing to people what they need to do to be called a Bitcoiner. Like that is the most anti-Bitcoin yeah. thing I've ever hey, heard. Amen. Yeah. Like, oh, you don't do self-custody, you don't do this, you're not a Bitcoiner? Get off your high horse, man. Try to freaking emigrate from a third world country. Mauricio, you don't and, sun your butthole? You're not a Bitcoiner. Yeah. No, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Like what you know, what's the what's the 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 raw meat or whatever it is? Like not not to bang on any particular scene yeah. here, but like the whole point about Bitcoin is that I can't tell anyone or anything how to use it, why to use it, or how, or in what format to use it. That is the whole effing point of this thing. So if you're going to tell me that you have to do this and this and that for me to like, oh, I give you my shaman blessing, that is not going to work for us in the long mm. term. You know what's going to be much more successful than that? BlackRock. So like, <laughs> You know, like just Blackhawk. Yeah, I, I was just <laughs> that dude. Dan, we are thinking very parallel right now. But yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I yeah. thought I saw, I thought I heard an R in there though. Keep keep it accessible. Why? Like I don't 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 alienate people and and understand that not everybody is at the same skill level or comfort level as you are with a particular thing. Like if you tell somebody in Argentina right now that their pesos are disintegrating that they cannot open an account on Ledin or XYZ because that's not how you Bitcoin and you're better off waiting seven days until your ledger arrives and your money is worth half the money. You're yeah. not helping anybody, dude. So like, again, fine if you have your opinions. Don't prescribe on anyone else what they should or, or need to do to be called this or that. Man, we could do an entire episode on that. I could. I think yep. railing against groupthink is one of our favorite things to do here. And every single one of us needs to realize that this is a big enough innovation in protocol and technology. It's going to way outgrow you. It's going to outgrow your worldview. It's going to be so diverse. It's going to be global. And it's not going to perform and behave exactly how you want it to. It's out of your control. Let the hog roam. Mm. And yeah, keep um, politics out of it because I'm tired of hearing about that shit. So yep. let's just not even talk about it. But seriously, uh, no seed oil. So I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> gentlemen, we, Mauricio, we could talk to you for another two hours. We can't because I am about to both piss my pants and shit my pants at the same time <laughs> in this seat. I don't believe but, you. Um, we'll keep you another five minutes. Uh, that was an awesome conversation. <laughs> we appreciate you. Give the audience a handoff to yourself, letting anything else you want. Oh man, first off, thanks to you guys. Um, you guys have been amazing. Uh, thanks for doing what you do and for you know giving us a chance to come on and 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 share our our story with people. Um, Ledin, you can find us at ledin.io, uh, at Hoddle with Ledin on socials. You can find me at Cryptonomista at on Twitter dot uh, on Twitter, yeah, at Cryptonomist with an A at the end. And I write the weekly newsletter for Ledin. Uh, if you want to sign up for that, you can do that at blog.ledin.io. 
And uh, yeah, we're, we're always open if you have any questions. Awesome. Thanks, Mauricio. See you soon. Thank you, guys. How about Mauricio? What a great guy. He is as kind and generous in person as he comes across in this discussion. Also, he knows his shit when it comes to the brass tacks underlying these institutions. Let us know what you thought of this discussion. Are we too immature and childlike? Do we sound like pompous pricks or elitist? Do we sound like idiots? Let us know. Hit us up on Twitter or email us and burn us to the ground. Check us out on YouTube if you want to see our gorgeous figures. And if you haven't checked out Fountain, you definitely should. This is our podcast platform of choice, and it was built for Bitcoin. Check it out. Until next time, thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah.